0: Amen. You may be seated. And I invite you to turn with me now in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, today we will be considering verses 16 through 22. We've reached the final list in this section, um, a three-week um, kind of run, if you will, where Paul has been given us instruction after instruction after instruction. It's, it's felt like rapid fire Um, And I know that um, for some of us, we've had to to go back and and think and reflect, and that's good. I I think that's what Paul would have us to do. As we see these topics, it's to cause us to think about what he's written both in this book and what's been written in the totality of Scripture. And over the course of this whole letter, if we reflect upon it, Paul and his co-writers have taught the church many topics that are needed in order to grow spiritually. And soon, um, in a few weeks, we're going to turn to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to find out how well this instruction has been received. And we will learn, is that a continuation of praise or in a continuation of encouragement to listen? Um, And and I, I think that you will be blessed by that. But let us not grow weary of his instruction in these latter sections, because today... I believe he will give us once again three more truths that we as believers, that we as a church, vitally need. I would dare say that we desperately need in order to live godly lives and grow together as we grow toward the kingdom of God. With that in mind, I do invite you to turn with me to the text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be reading 16 to 22 this morning. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil." While the grass may wither and the flower may fall, God's word will stand forever and will accomplish everything that he has set out for it. Would you go with me to him in prayer? Our Lord and our God, as we come once again before you this morning in prayer, we come admitting that if you do not open our minds, our ears, and our hearts, we will not receive your word. If you do not send your spirit, if you do not awaken the stubbornness within us and that you rid it and replace it with a soft heart a heart that's willing to receive to be corrected to grow and to love we will not do those things and so we ask Lord as we hear your word and we hear it revealed to us this morning that you would provide what is needed in our own lives and in our own hearts I pray that you would give us a special attention to you in this time that is what you deserve. We ask this all in the name of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in my opinion, is one of the greatest preachers that ever had walked the earth. We have more recorded sermons from Charles Spurgeon than any other preacher it didn't hurt that he preached nearly every day a week, and uh, most of the time more than once. But we have a tome, if you will, of his instruction and his truth and his encouragement. And yet, if Spurgeon was here with us today, he would probably call me to repentance for lifting himself up. He would not like that I spoke very highly of himself. Um, I, there are stories that circulate around Students would often come to um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London where he preached. Um, He was known for instructing and teaching young ministers and young men. That was a passion of his. And he never turned down an opportunity uh, before a service to give someone a tour of the building that God had provided for them. And he would go through and he would show the sanctuary and he would show all of the different sections and all of the different areas. And when the students would think the tour was over, he would look at them and say, would you like to see the boiler room? And that is, you know, that reaction that you just had to that is what we expect they would have. The boiler room, well, that's just where they heat the building. It's downstairs. It's hot. It's not very pleasant. Why would I want to do that? But Spurgeon was said to be insistent uh, that people saw the boiler room. And so he would take them downstairs. He would take them into the basement. And without fail, before every service, he would open the doors to that boiler room, and there would be hundreds of people praying every time, before every service, every day of the week. And he would say, and, and Spurgeon was quoted This is the powerhouse of the church. This is the foundation without which it will not stand. Brothers and sisters, let me be frank with you this morning. Unless we adopt and we take on a boiler room mentality, this church will not stand. Unless we recognize our need for God as individuals and as a community, we will not endure. We may provide help to those that need help. We may proclaim truth where it is our obligation to do so. But if we do not cover this ministry in prayer, it will not succeed. And I am confident that that is the case. And we will see that this morning. I believe that because Paul gives it to us here. One of the key aspects to ministry, one of the key aspects to the Christian life, remember, this book is a series on how to live in light of Jesus Christ coming back. How do I live best in light of Jesus Christ coming back? You orient your prayer life to Him and to God. And so we're actually going to see three truths this morning, and they're all very interconnected, that will draw us to this conclusion. And so first, we will see the need to fill our life with ceaseless Joy and grateful prayer, we'll find that in verses 16 to 18. Secondly, and what allows that prayer to be effective, is when we yield to the direction of the Holy Spirit. We'll find that in verses 19 to 21. And then finally, we will conclude in light of these first two points that we must grow in sanctification in our final two verses, all pointing us to that same point. If God does not build the house, it will not stand. So let's take a moment this morning and consider each of these truths. You know, one of the most consistent messages to the people of God is that they must be people of prayer. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Psalm 145. 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The book of Acts 242. The start of the church as we know it. In response to hearing this powerful sermon. We get this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now we could continue for the rest of our service exploring a biblical teaching on the topic of the need to pray. And certainly, um, we all understand why it is important to pray, but Paul gives us actually gives us three aspects to what our prayer should look like. He's going to modify our prayer life this morning. He's going to tell us not only that we should pray, but how we should do it. So let's look at these three modifiers and see if we can grow in our understanding of prayer. The first one is this. Simply put, rejoice always. Rejoice always. You know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and it can only be found in one who understands God and what God has done for him or for her. It's not a fleeting happiness, but it's deeper and it's more sincere. To rejoice or rejoicing then is to feel or express great joy. It's an expression of the joy that we find in who God is and what He has done. It's taking our understanding of who we are before God and cranking it all the way up. It's nothing short of celebration. We could have, Paul could have very well put here, celebrate God. Celebrate God at all times. Celebrate Him in prayer. Celebrate Him in praise. Celebrate Him in expression of who He is, of this created world, of how He has blessed you and me. Let's not forget that word always though because not only are we told what we should do we're told how often always at all times frequently never ceasing now you may ask me and you would be right to well what if what when i when i don't feel well how about when i have had something bad happen and i don't want to rejoice <laughs> well the words are simple like two words rejoice always it still stands. You would then say, well, do I have to suppress my emotions and seem happy when I am not? We have to be careful here. There's a misconception. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is is a fleeting reaction. It's, it's It's a momentary response. But joy is deeper and longer lasting. I was with my grandmother holding her hand as she left this world. Was I smiling? No. Were there tears in my face? Yes. Was there joy in my heart? Absolutely. Why? Because as she left this world and entered into the next, I knew where she was going. I know who she believed in and who she trusted in. I was not happy that day. There was not a lot of happiness in the room, but there was joy. Because joy comes from understanding who we are, why we were made, And what we were made for. And we were made for God. And when that understanding comes to be in our lives, when when we put that as the head and the focus, everything else falls into place. Everything else makes sense. Can I promise you will not go through difficult times? No, I cannot. Can I promise that there will not be dark days ahead? No, I cannot. But can I promise that if you listen to God's word and you trust in him and you devote your life to prayer Will you have joy yes I can because joy is from God, joy is toward God, joy is about God and did you notice what we just said it's not us it's him and if you've heard anything this morning God is everlasting, God does not change the same yesterday, today and tomorrow and so my friends we can and we must rejoice always now, the second aspect to our prayer life is very closely related to it. We're told first to rejoice always, and then we're told to pray without ceasing. Isn't that the same thing? Well, yes and no. Now, I do need to admit this does not mean every second of every day you need to make sure that you're actively in prayer. There's always a joke um, I, I have heard in, in my circles um, you know, when you're asking someone to pray and they're in a vehicle, they're like, just do it with your eyes open. Like, you can pray, but just keep your eyes open when you're doing it. And there's this, this idea that prayer has to look a very specific way, and it, it has to have a, the same form, and it has to conform to all of these ideas, but that's not necessarily the case. And I don't think that, that we're physically capable of every second of every day with every thought going to God in prayer. Nor do I think Paul meant that. I think instead we're to see this allegorically and we're to see this as your life should be so... Caught up in prayer. Your time with God should be so sweet and so often that if someone was to witness your life, if they could take an x-ray of your brain and see your thoughts, I know that's not how that works, but go with me here, that they would see prayer, 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 and they would come to the conclusion that person is always in prayer before God. Pray without ceasing. Because... That does two beautiful things for us. One, if you're always praying, what are you doing? You're always thinking of the Father. You're always thinking about God. And also, and related to it, the second thing you're doing is you're going to Him with your needs. You're pleading with God for your needs. You're celebrating with God your victories. You're lamenting with God your defeats. And then once again, we find ourselves in the same place. Where are we? With God. And when we're with God, we are able to have joy. I told you, all of these things are really interconnected. And they really give one message that we'll get to here at the end. But our third aspect of prayer this morning, it tells us how we should pray. We are to rejoice. We are to pray continually. And we're also to give thanks in all circumstances You know, pagan religions in the time of Paul and in the time of this church, they knew how to give thanks. They were actually really good at this. Put together a ritual, put together a ceremony, something good happened. The gods must have blessed me. Let's go to them in prayer. But it wasn't even so much out of, we're so glad you did that. It's more for the next time. It's, would you do it again? And it it became almost this transactionary uh, item where Something good happened. I must thank a God. I must thank a God so something good will happen. And it became the cyclical nature of I want, I receive, and I want some more. Well, that's not what we're talking about when we relate to our God. We pray out of a thankful heart when we've received good gifts, we pray out of a thankful heart when we have not received good gifts. We pray because we desire a relationship, not favors. You know, we should have the mindset of Job, that we pray in seasons of plenty and seasons of lacking. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thankfulness. Thankfulness out of gratitude. For when the Lord withholds something from us, we didn't need it. We didn't need it or he would have given it to us. The Lord provides for our needs. Doesn't a father who loves you not give you the serpent or not give you the scorpion? But doesn't he care for you out of love, correcting when necessary, but all out of love to that, and that's the God we serve, we are to be thankful. And Paul tells us in verse 18 why this is the case. If, If I've not made a strong enough argument for you this morning, then listen to this. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I can't petition anything higher. This is God's will for your life through Christ Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, his obedience, his living, his dying, his resurrection, his ascending into heaven, his praying for us on our behalf daily. Because of that, We are called to pray. We are called to rejoice. We're called to be thankful. That's God's will for us. And because it's God's will, it is good. And I'll, we'll we'll just say this one last time and then we'll move on. Where does that put us? With God. Where does that put us? In God's hands. Where does that put us? Trusting him and not ourselves. A sure foundation. Something that we can trust in. Something that we can hope in. Spurgeon had it right. Spurgeon knew that it wasn't his strength that drew people to that church. It wasn't his preaching ability. It wasn't his scholarly ability. It was God and God alone. And Spurgeon knew that if those people did not pray, he would not preach. And Spurgeon knew that if they did not pray, then God's Spirit would not go forth. And if God's Spirit did not go forth, they would not receive it. And in fact, that's actually what we find in our next point. Our prayer is only effective when it is prayer done through and with the help of and support of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment and explore the the power of the Holy Spirit and a warning, in fact, to be careful with how we treat the Spirit. Let's look look with me in verses 19 to 21. Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecy. But test everything. Now it's our task to discern these three elements. And these are very big pieces of the puzzle. We have to remember that in the time of 1 Thessalonians, there were still prophets alive who could discern what God's plan was and proclaimed it to the people. There were also people alive who called themselves prophets and called themselves people who discerned God's will, but were false prophets. We know that there were true prophets left because this is one of the first books of the New Testament written. It's certainly one of the earliest from Paul. We've not got the book of Revelation yet written by John and I most certainly would say that that is prophecy. And so there are prophets about. There are prophets proclaiming God's word. There are false teachers also claiming to be from God and claiming to be of God and what they're saying is confusing. What they're saying goes against God's word and misleading to the people. And so, what do we do? Do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Just because someone gives a really good presentation doesn't mean we should automatically go along with them. Remember, this church, the church in Thessalonica, has a history of following false teaching. In fact, one of the biggest reasons Paul wrote this book is out of fear that all they were being bombarded with would get through, that something that the world was telling them, surrounding them, would penetrate their beliefs, their thoughts, their identity, and that the church would crumble. And so Paul says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything. And we see an example of this in Acts 17. When Paul and Silas, when they got kicked out of Thessalonica, they went to Berea. And I wouldn't want this written about me, but this is what we hear in that next section. These Jews, being the Jews of Berea, were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica. They received the word of God with all eagerness, and note what they did, and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were deemed more noble than the Thessalonican church. They were deemed more noble than the Thessalonican Christians. Why? Because they heard the word and their response was, now let's test it against the scriptures. They heard what they believed to be truth and their response was, let's make sure it is so. They listened and they challenged. Not out of a disrespect, but out of a a sense of we need what is good and what is right and what is pure. And if it is not so, then it is not of use. And this is exactly what Paul is telling us here. We're called to listen to God's word being proclaimed and to test it against the word of God to see that it is valid. Many people today claim to be Christians and proclaim a Christian message but when you take that message and you run it through the filter of the Bible, it does not match up. But you may, and many of you have already caught on to this, you may say, well, that's great and all, but go back to the quenching the Spirit. You didn't answer that question. I want you to talk about that, and I'll be happy to do so. And we had to get an understanding of what it means to hear the Word and test the Word, because to not quench the Spirit is really a response to that. The spirit often has been described as fire, and so to quench a fire is to suppress it, is to um, attack it, if you want to think of it that way. Putting water on a fire will put it out, will cease it from performing its action, uh, which is to consume, which is to burn, which is to purify. And so we get this language do not quench the spirit. We could say then do not suppress the spirit. Do not seek to stamp out the Spirit. Do not seek to oppose the Spirit. Well, what is one of the primary tasks of the Spirit? Well, the Spirit convicts us of our sin and calls us to holy living. And so what does it mean for us to quench the Spirit? It means that when we know what we're about to do is sin, and we say, and I'm going to do it, that's quenching the Spirit. When we know what we're not about to do is good, and we say, and I'm not going to do it, that is quenching the Spirit. That is suppressing God's presence in your life and saying no to God, to put it as plain as I can. That is looking at God and saying, no, I'm going to do it my way. And hasn't that flipped what we were just talking about? Right prayer directs us toward God. Our own nature, our own position, our own desire is to point us to ourselves. And when we're doing that and not doing the prior, we are suppressing God's spirit, we're suppressing God's will, and it's like pouring water on top of a fire. Maybe for some of you here this morning or those of you listening, maybe you're an unbeliever. And maybe yet you still know that what my life looks like, how I live, is wrong. It's not accord with God's word. God's word is plain. God's word is sure. And I know that I need to submit, but I don't want to bend the knee. I don't want to yield to Him. That's suppressing the Spirit. In fact, the unforgivable sin is saying no to the Spirit of God when the Spirit calls and rejecting that calling and rejecting that desire to, to be part of God's family. It's the only thing that God can't forgive because it is a total rejection of him. We are not to quench the spirit of God and this is one of the things that if you research in scripture if you read about the holy spirit the strongest warnings are given against not responding to the spirit. Jesus is is uh, is all about forgiveness. And he stands for truth. Don't don't misunderstand me. But when we listen to the Spirit and we read in the the Bible about the Spirit, we're given very clear instruction. You yield to the Spirit of God. And maybe you find these first two examples a a bit harsh and you find yourself going, well, I don't want to, you know, deny the Spirit and I'm I'm a believer of God, so I'm in good shape, right? Well, there is one other way that we can quench the spirit that I I need to bring and I almost hesitate to because if you're like me, I I find these first two going, "Mm, I struggle with those, I'm okay. But listen to this. The final way I warn you that we can quench the spirit of God is by believing we are in control of our own lives. That we we are in charge. And that it is our life and that we get to dictate what happens to it and we get to determine what happens to us and we get to Chart our own course. And it is very easy to quench the Spirit in this regard. Because maybe, maybe you feel God calling you to missions. Or to give generously to support a ministry. Maybe you know that your life right now is not where God wants it to be. Your career is not where God wants it to be. And if you know this to be true, and you're actively working against that, then you're quenching the Spirit of God. And there's strong wording against that in the Bible. Life is difficult, and we do not know what tomorrow will bring. Many of us, we would never admit out loud to going against God's will. We would not want to say this about ourselves, and yet sometimes when we look at our lives and we use these verses as our lens, we'll have to step back and go, Oh, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I have been resisting you. I have been resisting your will for my life. Now, I need to come back full circle and make one comment, because if I told you this and then sent you out this morning, you would question every decision you have. Should I go to Wendy's or McDonald's? Should I, you know, were you a Walmart family or a Target family? Whatever it may be, and you're going to say, is that of God? Or is that of the devil? So how do we discern if what we feel is of God? Well, Paul knew we would have this question, and so he's already answered it. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything in the Word of God. Do not despise God's Word, but test everything. And so if you feel God saying, speaking to you through His Word and through time and prayer, then challenge it against the Scriptures. Read God's Word and seek the answer. Now some things you, you may find are all but inconsequential, Wendy's or McDonald's, but sometimes reading God's Word and spending that time in prayer, and seeking the help of the Spirit, God will reveal to you very clear and plainly that no, that is what God wants of you. God is calling you this direction. God is calling you to this decision. God is calling you to this path. And in that we must respond. But we don't do so blindly. We do so in prayer. We do so with the Spirit. We do so with the Word of God. And when we do that, we grow in our sanctification. And If I have had any conclusion in this entire series, point three, more often than not, checking back on my notes, has been grow in sanctification. So I invite you one last time to hear me tell you to grow in sanctification. And it's appropriate, isn't it? It really is. If we're obeying God, if our direction is toward Him, if we're yielding to the Spirit, if we're testing His Word and testing what we hear against the Scriptures... Then the only natural consequence, conclusion would be that we listen, that we learn, and that we grow. And so, time and time again, Paul has come back to this point. In light of what I've told you, now grow, now learn, now change, now be better, now seek me more. But you can't do that on your own. You need prayer, you need God's word, you need the finished work of Jesus Christ, you need the help of the Spirit, you need Christian community. And so God has called us to this truth and prepared us for it. We hear in the concluding words of this section: "Hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil." You know, if we could do this on our own, Jesus would not have had to, died, would not have had to die. If we could do this on our own, Jesus would not have sent the Holy Spirit. But we can't, and we won't. And so Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. He promised the Holy Spirit to aid us, to help us, to walk us along that path, because he knew, he knew we would need it. He's given us his word, which is timeless and true and good. He said, follow this, listen to me, and I will direct you. And... Let's think about this for a moment. When we examine our lives and the message that's being proclaimed and determine determine that it is from God and not from man, we're to hold fast to that, cling to it as if our very lives depend on it like in those movies or like in those adventure shows when they're holding on from a helicopter or they're on a, a ladder or on a rope and they know if they let go, they will fall to their demise. But as long as they hold on, as if their life depends on it, they will survive. Usually it's because they're the hero and we know that heroes tend to survive in, in um, modern literature. But as a Christian, we will survive. We, if we hold on to God's word and to what is good and what is pure and what is right, seeking the Spirit's help, trusting it against God's word, we cling to it and God will see us through. Now, how about the opposite? When we find ideas, practices, and beliefs that are not good and do not fit this model, what do we do? We abstain from all forms of it. We flee. We get out of there. We walk away. We run from temptation. Look, it's, it's not the intent of, of this message to go into all forms of temptation, but let's just, I told my students all the time, if you find yourself as someone who struggles with alcoholism, don't go to the Mexican restaurant on two for one margarita night. Don't do it. If you're not there, you won't be tempted. If technology is a struggle for you, either how you use it, or what you are tempted to view on it, get rid of it. I, I will say this admitting that I am very closely attached to my technology. You can survive without it. If there are struggles and there are temptations and there are areas of weakness, run, abstain. The, one of the strongest words we can use here, flee from all forms of it. You don't need it in your life. If that's not strong enough, what does Jesus say? It'd be better for you to cut your own eyes out and enter the kingdom of heaven blind. It would be better for you to chop your arm off and enter the kingdom of heaven lame, cling to what is good, and flee from evil as if your very life depends upon it because it just might. For the church in Thessalonica, there were many temptations, from pagan deities being worshipped to mistreatment of others to false religion being promoted as truth. And Paul was very concerned with this church that their faith would stand. And to address this, he says, cling to what is good and flee from what is evil. It seems simple, but we know it's anything but. And yet, this is the best way to live in light of Christ's return. I cannot tell you how excited it is to continue to see what the Lord has done for us here in this congregation. It brings me great joy um, to be with you and to work with you and to become a part of your lives. And I don't know what this time next year things are going to look like. I don't know 10 years from now what it's going to look like, where we're going to be, what the Lord is going to do. But I can tell you this, you will need prayer. I will need prayer just as much then as we do now. It will need to be as much a vital part of who you are in the days to come as it is today. I know that you can't do that on your own. And you are going to need the Spirit of God's help. And I know that you and I both will need to cling to the Holy Spirit. To seek His wisdom. To seek His counsel. I know that false teaching is going to continue. I wish we could get rid of it. I wish we could just get it all out of our lives and out of the lives of this world, but we can't, not until Christ returns. And so you're going to hear messages that sound good, that sound like they're true, that sound like they're helpful, but they're anything but. How do we determine that? By running it through the filter of God's Word, by seeking truth and testing it against God's Word. And as we do that, as we struggle in that together, we won't do it perfectly, we will grow in sanctification, which draws us closer to God, which better enables us to do the things that He has called us to do. And if we busy ourselves with that, we will be well prepared at Christ's return or when He calls us home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the days seem to grow darker and darker. The world seems to be gaining a foothold everywhere we turn. And yet I wonder how dark the night was before Christ's death. I wonder how dark it felt in that upper room. I wonder how dark it felt as the disciples watched Jesus being dragged to that hill. And yet we know that even in that, it was only that dark so that the day could be that much brighter. So that victory could be that much sweeter. Evil was seen... To been given a foothold just so when it was destroyed it would be all the more victorious Father we all struggle with our sins we all struggle with disobeying you sometimes very willfully and sometimes through neglect forgive us Lord help us help us to be a people of prayer may we petition you frequently and often so much so that it is as if our very life is a life of prayer Help us to seek the Holy Spirit, to not quench the Spirit, but to test what is true and what is good with your word. And Lord, continue to grow us. Help us. We cannot do this on our own. We will not survive this world without you. And so we invite you into our lives to do what is needed to make us into your image. Help us to love one another in these things and to sacrificially give to one another because we're not called to do this alone. We are a Christian community here for one another. We thank you for that promise. We ask your blessing upon the hearing and reading of your word this morning. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.